It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today we're looking at two shows. We're looking at Fighter Fest from AEW from about a week ago, and we're looking at Southern Showdown in Melbourne. New Japan Pro Wrestling. There was two shows in Mel- in Australia on their tour. We're looking at the Melbourne show today. Um, it's been a good time for wrestling. I'm also going to have a quick flash at the Ricky Chosu retirement card, and we've got some goodbyes to say as well, which isn't much fun. Okay, but we'll talk about all these things. A bit of a general news roundup show before we launch off into the G1, which obviously is our big project for the summer, and the G1's already started already. We haven't even got the coverage of the G1 started because it started today. Well, I started last night in Dallas, Texas. So, to join me from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, first of all, is Mr. Marcus Green. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. Glad to be back on here, which is, it's, it's been a while. Feels like. It has. It has. It's been, been, been quite the while. We've also got Ashley Rose from Indie Empire Magazine coming on later to discuss the Melbourne show from New Japan Pro Wrestling. But we're going to start with AEW Firefest uh, and see how we got on there. It was... Quite the interesting match, this one. <laughs> well, quite the interesting card. Now, there was an undercard which we haven't got listed on the show. I didn't get a chance to see the undercard. So what were your thoughts on that, Marcus, first of all? Well, let's have a look at it this way. We haven't had a chance to talk to you since AEW started. So what are your thoughts on AEW, first of all, and what are your thoughts on this card? What were your anticipations going in? Because this wasn't a big event. It was given away for free in the U.S. What were your thoughts going into this? Um, going into it, I was look, looking at them to continue uh, maybe some of the momentum coming off of, uh, you know, obviously double or nothing. Uh, I knew this wasn't going to be uh, the same show on that type of, of level, um, but I, I did expect a solid show. And I think I got a solid show overall. I think AEW has been making some real good strides um, overall, uh, making each show, you know, that they, they put out a variety. And I think this was very much a variety show. Um, but yeah, I think they, I think they coming along good. They, they making some, uh, they've definitely made some improvements, you know, uh, coming off of double or nothing that, that were, uh, points of contention for, uh, some people as well as myself. So, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see again, guys that, uh, come at it from a different perspective that are in the business and come at it from a, both a, a fan's perspective and a, a real solid business perspective that, that, are you know, putting on these shows and not necessarily making themselves, you know, uh, oversaturated on the show, but 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 a pivotal part at the same time. So it's it's been uh been cool to see AEW's uh rise, if you will. Yeah, it's been interesting. Certainly, I think was, the one thing I noticed from the show was the commentary was so much better because nobody was jumping over anybody else. Oh yeah, they got each other's time, room to breathe. The commentators were were really good this time, which was uh, Excalibur. Uh, Jim Ross and Golden Boy, they were actually well put together. They were very, very good. So for this particular show, it opened up, well, there was a dark match before that, a couple of dark matches before, but we're going to start with the shows that actually were listed on the event. So first up was Seema versus Christopher Daniels. Seema of uh, OWE, the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment, um, formerly of Dragon Gate, and Christopher Daniels is frigging Christopher Daniels, Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. And this was a very watchable matchup, watching these two veteran stars really show you what to do to make an opening match work, I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, this was kind of my introduction to Seema, so uh, it was really cool seeing him. He kind of, at first I had to like do a double take because I, I thought he was uh, Ishimori for a second. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my introduction to him. Uh, real, uh, you know, really great talent. Obviously, Daniels is a, a stalwart in the industry. We know that. Put those two together, I think they put on a, a real solid effort um, to, to, to kick the show off. And, and, and you know, uh, hats off to Daniels for, for putting the guy over, you know, because I think a lot of people kind of come in AEW figuring like these kind of guys like Daniels and, you know, Everybody that's kind of like affiliated with uh, the Elite or Bullet Club will primarily get all the wins, but it's it's nice to see that that's uh, not necessarily the case. So, yeah, definitely, it's uh, been interesting uh, to see how they've kind of cross pollinated the OWE guys with the AEW guys to make it all work. Yeah. All right. Then next up was kind of like a real taste of what we're going to get in the women's division in AEW, more so than I think what we saw at Double for Nothing, because you kind of got the impression that the Joshi girls were coming in to just do wow, amazing matches for as a one-off. Uh, but no, they're going to stick around and they're going to do some cool, cool stuff. This was a three-way dance between Riho, Nyla Rose, and Yuki Sakizaki. Hang on a sec. Sorry, I had to cough it. Um, and this three-way was actually really, really well put together. Yuki Sakizaki and Rio obviously work an awful lot together in Japan. And 30 minutes and two seconds. This was really good. Good underdog storytelling. Yuka and Rio working together a team in spots, but kind of breaking apart towards the end. The camaraderie isn't there because this is about competition and about winning and losing. And that was really important, this match, you could tell. Now the Rose continues to grow as a, a big monster heel. And, uh, yeah, this was thoroughly entertaining and really well put together. What were your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Oh, uh, again, Agree once again. I mean, you know, you got that, uh, you know, Rio and Nala, uh, Rio and Yuka trying to chop down that big redwood Nala, and she wasn't necessarily at this time having to be, uh, I guess, sharing the spotlight, if you will, with Kong. So she really got to, you know, uh, pull out some good stuff, some cool stuff. And like you said, it was really well put together. It really was a story of, you know, these kind of underdogs trying to take down this big, you know, behemoth, if you will. And also, like you said, Nala is growing. Um, she's going to get better and obviously I guess she's kind of their resident consistent monster as I guess we're going to see Kong in you know uh spots if you will when she's yeah meeting, will but um yeah I thought it was a real solid effort you know and it just kind of again me getting uh, more familiar with Rio and, and Yuka but um a lot of a lot of great talent I'm glad that you know um AEW is making it a point to diversify you know across the board not just with the women or the men but you know uh across the board because uh you know, this is a big opportunity for a lot of talent to get exposed, not just talent that we've known has been on the Indies for years, but also, you know, talent from, you know, other parts of the world. So, Yeah, I definitely mean in this case, like Rio and Yuka Sakazaki are probably on pretty good money in comparison to what they were earning in Japan. And it's a steady paycheck and it's constant income and bigger and bigger exposure. And they're presenting them straight away, right in the meat of the card. There's no mucking about here. This is sink or swim time, and they're used to that pressure cooker, and they're the ones that are going to be the ones that rise to the occasion, as as far as I can tell, and they're putting smooth, smooth stuff together. Right, then we move on to match three, which was Adam Page. He defeated Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, and MJF uh, in a four-way match. 10 minutes and 51 seconds. Just kind of a fun match, this one, really. You have your top heel in MJF. You have a couple of your big baby faces, Adam Page and Jimmy Havoc and Jungle Boy with Luchasaurus, of course. Uh, this was the kind of thing that got Cornette's blood boiling. So I can't complain about this at all. 
But this was a lot of fun. I thought it was just it did what it did, and it was it was very very good. Um, kind of got everybody over. I think they're still kind of trying to figure out because they don't have a regular TV slot at the moment, and they're trying to get characters over, um, and you know trying to build these characters without like the TV time that they need to do it. They're trying to do it through matches, and I think they're doing a very good job of it. What are your thoughts on this, Marcus? Yeah, I think that perfectly sums it up. This match was really you know. Um... They could have just went out there and just did, did, did a bunch of moves, but it really was some good character stuff. Obviously, you know, you got uh, Paige came out on top, and obviously uh, I don't think you can necessarily just hand him a bunch of losses as he's prepping to, to take on uh, Jericho. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it, it still was a good showing. Uh, Jimmy Havoc did his thing as usual. Uh, Jungle Boy was coming, you know, coming into his own, getting he had some wild spots to kind of familiarize people with him. And show off his athleticism and whatnot. I think that's a great pairing with Luchasaurus, who uh, long-time Lucha Underground fans would know uh, as formerly as Vibora. Uh, from mm-hmm. there. And uh, MJF is very reminiscent of, uh, you know, uh, Ethan Carter III. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think with a, a little bit more of a, a trashier mouth, I think he uh, <laughs> got very much ran down the crowd here, which for a lot of people was a highlight. I don't know if Cornette liked that or not. But, um, he certainly like he certainly has enthusiasm, which EC3 doesn't right now. Yeah, but uh, he's definitely somebody that knows his character, knows what works for him, and goes for it every time. Square on the button. So, yeah, I think this was a great character match, and, and had some good moves and stuff in there. And, and obviously, like I said, Paige kind of you know has to maintain that momentum going in. So I think the right man won, but it was just fine. It wasn't too long, wasn't too short. Just, just about the, the right amount. Yeah, definitely. Now then, the next matchup, Bayek. If you want to see somebody get made, this was the match to see. Darby Allen is a bit suicidal and he's a bit sociopathic. However, if you want to see someone made in 20 minutes, made into a main event, purebred wrestling star, this was the match to see. And Cody did a brilliant job of getting his opponent sold in just the, getting his opponent over, sold in just the right places at the right time. There were some things after it that I'm not that keen on, and we'll talk about that after the match. But this match had all the effort that Darby Allen could put into it. I must admit, I've heard the name, but I've not seen him wrestle before, and I was thoroughly impressed. He wasn't as death-defying as uh, I thought he would be in an effort to get over, and there was one massive bump that was probably slightly unnecessary. But the actual work rate in this match and the ability to get this guy over shows the willingness Cody has to put into this effort. Brandy helped as well. What are your thoughts on this match, Marcus? Yeah, this this, this match kind of... Like, stop me in my tracks and polarize me for a minute. Um, I hadn't heard or seen any of Darby Adams, so this was the intro for me for him. Um, and got some cool stuff going on uh, with his character and his demeanor and everything as well. And like you said, kudos to Cody for really uh, making it a clear statement and effort to, to really, you know, get this guy as much shine as you can in, in making a guy in one match. Um, I stalled out once that spot hit. Yeah. Uh, because it was, it was just like you said, it was blatantly unnecessary, and it really could have just took him out, knocked him out completely. As we're always reminded that you know the apron is the hardest part of the ring, and he just literally just threw himself to the wolves on that. And then normally in wrestling, we'll see somebody do a spot like that, and you know um, something that happened where you know you got to keep the, the the theatrics going so they won't immediately pin somebody after that. But if it's me, I'm immediately pinning somebody after they seemingly knock me <laughs> after that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I mean, for me, it was just like, 
for those of you who don't know, have not seen the match, basically it was a back elbow drop onto the ring apron with Cody on the ring open, but Cody got out of the way. And so therefore Darby took his chin, but he took the bump directly between his shoulder blades with his spine bouncing. And he did bounce as well. It was like boing off the ring apron. And so it was kind of like a double bump. So it was a bit unnecessary. But having said that, the match worked really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you said, uh, um, something you, you've talked about for a long time and another uh, uh, feature that AEW I think is using quite well, uh, the time limit part, portion. Yes. Of, you know, bringing that into it. Uh, you know, again, makes it feel like, you know, real type of sports feel and, and, and can, you know, create a story. Obviously, this guy took somebody like, you know, Cody Rhodes to the limit, if you will, in a certain extent. I mean, he kicked out a crossroads, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So he took him quite literally to the limit. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's that story going in there uh, to keep that, build that momentum up. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, again, like, kudos to Cody for, for you know, making it effort because you don't have to do that. We've seen from most of before uh you know, the main guy puts himself probably uh, too much in, in front and center and makes it every point to get himself over. But uh, Cody and then, you know, like I said, the, the rest of the elite and uh, these guys are being quite gracious and making sure that everybody, you know, is getting the spotlight. So. Yeah, definitely. And also that 20-minute, we were talking about time limit draws before. When Jim Ross said they were bringing time limit draws back, I knew they had to establish it fairly soon that that was going to be a thing. And a 20-minute time limit draw kind of is just about the right length, I think. Half an hour is probably a bit too long to stretch it to credibility, but this just made it just about right. Yeah, and it's also almost a thing where you almost, you know, in, t- in terms of uh, over here in the U.S., you're damn near reconditioning an audience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so- this this is not standard for them. They have to do it, like, properly. Yeah, so like when you say not 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 going too far, stretching the believability, but constantly reminding them that, oh, it is a time limit thing, is I, I think it's going to be key because they're so used to you know bull crap finishes and matches going however long they need to or you know just rules being set up and then retconned halfway through so you know they got to keep that consistency yeah definitely right then next up was a tag team match a tag team affair between the elite kenny omega matt jackson and nick jackson they defeated the lucha brothers pentagon jr alongside Laredo Kid. Now, speaking of other people getting made, Laredo Kid certainly got made in this particular matchup. It was a lot of fun. A little spot heavy for me. Um, went a little long. I could have done with it being a little bit shorter. But the actual execution of two of the best tag teams in the world, and arguably the best two tag teams in the world, maxed in with their preferred tag team partners. This was unreal, ungodly speed. And ungodly wrestling maneuvers. Um, just for me, kind of lacked a bit of story. Seemed a little bit overkill because we've already seen Lucha Brothers and the, the Young Bucks go back and forth on to, in two different companies in two different countries for a while now. So I'm wondering if we've kind of run the end of this train. I'm hoping we don't get another one for a while. I love those two teams, but you can have too much of a good thing. What are your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, can't even if somebody like Moo was fans of both. Um, and 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 shout out to the uh, elite for you know doing I guess those uh Street Fighter references. Um, but yeah, it it did kind of come off video gamish at times, and maybe that was the point. Um, uh, for me, I kind of knew what I was getting going in and appreciative of it. But for me, you know, obviously as an avid Impact fan, getting a uh consistent plethora of lucha bros versus lax 
you know, um, like you said, I, even I could have maybe used uh, used a more slowed down, more methodical story type of pace. But um, I, I appreciate the fact that they got Laredo Kid here, who was uh, superbly talented, and he, you know he showed up and showed out. But anybody that came into this match not expecting what they got probably has not seen these either two teams on a consistent basis. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that, certainly. Oh, we did actually forget to mention something. There was something we weren't particularly keen on. I think you probably weren't particularly keen on it either. And that would have been uh, Sean Spears. Not necessarily the angle. Uh, Sean Spears turning heel and attacking Cody Rhodes. But he attacked him with a chair shot around the back of the head, which is generally considered not good because the wrestler who's taking the chair shot around the back of the head can't see what's happening. Um, And there was a lot of blood. Now, I'm not sure if that was bladed blood or actually just a split head from the chair shot, but he was hitting him with an awful lot of velocity. What's your thoughts on this, Marcus? Yeah, to me, it just came out completely unnecessary. You know, I'm, I'm glad uh, Sean Spears, you know, is getting the spotlight. Um, you know, this, this may be the most notoriety in terms of uh, buzz that he's had um, coming out of WWE, or maybe ever, you know. Um, but yeah, with the chair shot, I just thought it, you know, completely unnecessary. I mean, if it had to happen, at least get your hand up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't have took that straight on like that specifically when you know, uh, you know, we've seen it with WWE. But these, you know, obviously the, the business in general is just kind of being more uh, cautious and, and uh, watchful of um, concussions. It's a real thing. Uh, we, we, you know, we talked at length about it before, and I, you know. There's ways to, to have that same effect without going there, and mm. you know, hopefully, this is not a consistent thing. Kind of, it kind of stalled the show and really did the opposite because it turned instead of everybody talking about the debut of Spears, they kept just focusing on the chair shot, you know. And then, then afterwards, they kind of had to, I guess, put a couple fives out and kind of tell people, I guess, the, the Bucks was kind of coming off like you think the chair wasn't gimmicked. I'm like, well, it was gimmicked, otherwise, I'm pretty sure 12 stitches wasn't the 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 result no no either do something else or don't do it at all you know you could you could have had him maybe hit him in a midsection with a chair and debut a possible new finisher do something like that on the chair on the face of the chair do something like that but you know for me it just came off as completely unnecessary and for a guy who you know i I could care less about spectre i would prefer not to see these guys hurt ever you know if it can yeah avoid it so you know i'm always going uh safety first when it comes to this stuff yeah i would agree with that um, and speaking of unnecessary violence, the huh. main event of the evening, <laughs> Joey Janela wrestles John Moxley in a no DQ, no count out matchup. Your thoughts, Marcus? Because I've got a few, but I'll let you go first this time. Not my particular cup of tea. I was never, you know, I was never a huge uh, Moxley fan when he was Dean Ambrose in WWE. Um, but I'm a very, uh, as a fan, proud of, of you know, him. Uh, taking his talents elsewhere and making it a point to, you know, um, you know, really save his wrestling livelihood from a creative standpoint, uh, specifically by, you know, you know, finally emancipating himself from WWE, coming to AEW, and really uh, getting back, getting back to his uh, his winning ways, if you will, with this John Moxley character. I think kind of taking some of that old CZW swag and, and you know, bringing it forward, which I was unfamiliar with before he came to WWE. So um, it, it's just cool to see him do his thing and, and really uh, look and feel like he's really thriving in, in the element of wrestling again. But overall, not a big fan of this match. It was, uh, I guess, 
CZW vibes kind of was in there, and uh, just I, I just prefer a good old fashioned in between the ropes uh, technical show out. Um, I appreciate violence when it's warranted, but this was kind of felt like for just for the sake of it. And I get it that goes kind of with the character that he's going with, but I think I kind of prefer the mix if you're going to go there to mix that like Jericho infuses with his matches now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, kind of starts off violent, sets up for what he needs to, and then finishes in the ring. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it did what it needed to do. Um, it was it was non-sanctioned. Um, felt damn near like a lights-out concept and, and, and all. And if you go do that with Moxley, he's definitely going to take it there. But for me... Uh, it was fine, but it uh, definitely just not my cup of tea. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, th- me and Ashley were talking about Moxley a couple of weeks ago, making his first kind of like forays into New Japan. And she said, I kind of have a standard of what New Japan guys are like, and Moxley isn't there yet, which would make a lot of people go, ah, um, I think he's much better in this environment. It's kind of like North American mainstream wrestling is his bag. But then again, you know, barbed wire boards and thumbtacks isn't exactly mainstream American wrestling, is it? So this didn't really... It seems like a square peg and a round hole to an extent. Yeah. Um, I think it was well executed for what it was. People seem to enjoy it. The cage match users give it 8.38. They think it was the best match on this card. But honestly, I think the women's, t- the women's three-way dance was the best match on this card for me. That would be my personal favorite. But obviously, I like women's wrestling more than I like men's wrestling. So, you know, everything's subjective. Yeah. Um I'm not going to give the Wrestling Observer newsletter uh, marks this time purely because Dave Meltzer works for AEW, and I don't think that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm not going to give them out this time. No, Dave, no. Um, But, yeah, I think, what what are your thoughts overall on the card, and where do you think AEW stands? After two shows in, how are you feeling about the products, and are they doing the right things? Um, yeah, like I said, they, they definitely improved coming off of, uh, you know, uh, double or nothing in certain aspects. I, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that they're going with different uh, stage setups and whatnot, kind of bringing that real uh, individual show feels to things, kind of like how we used to have it uh, in, in, the, in the more consistent creative days of WWE. Um, but overall, like I said, I think, you know, before they uh, got everything uh, kind of going, even before All In, you know, Cody and the Bucks kind of talked about making it a variety show, whatever, something for everybody. Now, that's something, uh, some of those somethings weren't always uh, keen for me, but, you know, we were trying to, you know, take this brand as big as they are, as soon as they are, you know, you, you have to appeal to everybody. Not all wrestling fans are, you know, keen to the ECW type of vibe or, you know, that Lucha vibe. Yeah technical fans and I think they had a little bit of everything some people like you and me prefer the, the women's side of things because you don't, you know you don't get it as often maybe as you should over here on a consistent basis obviously it's getting better but um you know uh more is uh could be used when it comes to the women um but yeah like I said I didn't click necessarily with everything there was a uh, the dark match stuff with uh the lever bait stuff didn't really go over well for me uh, Michael <laughs> Zawa versus this Alex Bailey guy, which I guess he kind of bipartisan, but I guess paid to get himself on the show. And Michael Nakazawa at times kind of felt like he uh, was trying to beat Alex Bailey to death. And then the other half kind of felt like he was auditioning <laughs> for, for Joey Ryan. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. To be fair, Michael's had that gimmick a lot longer than Joey Ryan has. So Joey Ryan tries to be like him. Ah, 
<laughs> appreciate the appreciate the correction, but uh, yeah, that was that's okay. <laughs> uh, kind of threw me off, but yeah, um, and like you said, with the with the um, uh, that unnecessary spot, but I, I appreciate the effort from from Darby. I think he's going to go far, and I hope they continue that uh, that uh, aspect of him uh, taking Cody to the limit. And uh, like I said, I appreciate Moxley and everything, um, but. I just don't know if I prefer that style on a consistent basis. It kind of feels like he's going that route, and everybody has their niche. Um, but, again, I'm just glad he's kind of been emancipated. Overall, I thought it was a, a solid effort. Obviously, like you said, this was a free show. This wasn't on a level of a double or nothing. But, you know, they, they, they're they making a good effort to be aware that not everybody is going to be familiar with the names that are on all the names that will be on these shows and on their roster. And they're having matches, like you said, like the four-way with, Page, Havoc, uh, Jungle, and uh, MJF, who had some great moves and stuff there, but it was more character-driven. And they need to do that, um, you know, if, if they want to, you know, just get everybody uh, some momentum with the fans instead of focusing completely on the elite and the Bullet Club affiliates. So, Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that for sure. Right then, we have got some other news to talk about. Marcus, Ashley is yet to join us. Would you stick with us for the rest of the show so we can go through this New Japan and give you expert opinion on some of the characters that you hear about in New Japan and what you're looking forward to from the G1. Of course. Excellent. It'd be nice to have you with us. Right then. So first of all, let's go with the bad news. Uh, Charlie Morgan, uh, one of the bright young stars of the British wrestling scene, announced her retirement at Wrestle Kingdom 2 last week. Uh, she has had a bit of a duff angle injury. She got it on a shimmer show a few months ago. She wasn't healing the way she wanted to. And eventually she has had to call it a day um on her professional wrestling career career which i'm really sad about because Charlie morgan was one of my favorite wrestlers in the entire world she was fearless she was full of heart she was one of the best wrestlers i've ever seen she's a wonderful person who i've spent a lot of time talking to over the last couple of years uh, as i've profiled eve and as i've profiled Charlie morgan and other wrestlers if i ever have to get an opinion on a wrestler charlie's there with something honest and positive to say about loads of different people so charlie we hope you enjoy the rest of your career Similarly, another guy, Jack Sexsmith, the pansexual phenomenon, famous of Progress Wrestling and Riptide, has also had to call it quits as well. He retired on the Brighton Riptide show last weekend because his knee is done. He has no longer got a workable knee for professional wrestling, which is really terrible. I think both of them are either 27 or 28 years old. Mm. Um, Jack Sexsmith is one of the most impressively... Uh, open-minded characters and people you will ever come across uh started off was actually going to be a uh christian uh, i think uh, well he, he started off going to christian seminary college i don't think he was going to be a priest but it was going to be certainly something within the new wave uh, christian church and um, whilst he was there discovered figured out that he was pansexual and then gave then kind of like went about his life and became this incredible wrestler that really showcased lgbtqi storylines in the right way without uh resorting to homophobia which i think most me and you marcus are quite glad to see in this day and age yeah man live your truth man yeah exactly so thank you very much to charlie thank you very much to jack sexsmith you guys have had great careers and we're sad to see both of you retire it is a crying shame but i hope you have both got create well you both have incredible creative minds and I hope you get to explore that uh, for a wrestling company somewhere or oh, the training side of things, because I think both of you would be really good at that too. 
Right then. Uh, thank you for those guys. Oh, by the way, tomorrow's Telling Stories will be about Charlie Morgan and the profile I did for her on Total Wrestling Magazine a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Moving on then. We had also the Ricky Chosu Retirement Show, which was last week. If you want to find out my full thoughts about it, I actually wrote a piece on Ricky Chosu on Total, uh, sorry, not Total Wrestling, that doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. As uh, Vulture Hound, that's our parent company. If you look at the Vulture Hound website, you could find my uh, takes on Ricky Chusa's career and the final match. It's a show well worth looking up, by the way, and looking. You can find it on Pareso Dream. Uh, this on there because it was a TV show. They put the taping of it straight away onto the Pareso Dream. Big showcase of BJW for Noah, for All Japan, for DDT. Uh, a lot of matches being uh, supplied there. Oh, Freedoms as well. Um, and the main event. Koshinaka and Tomohiro Ishii tagging with Ricky Choso in his final against match against his oldest of old enemies, Tatsumi Fujinami, um, Kiyeji the Great Muta, uh, and Togi Makabe. And it is brilliant. Those old guys, by God, they can put a match together. In fact, it might be the best match I've seen in Kurikan Hall this year, and no one's below 38. <laughs> Ishii and Togi Makabe already I feel like I need to go get some ice oh yeah yeah. they're, they're, they're pulling weight for that one and it, oh, it's brilliant because it starts off Ricky Chiosu starts nicking Tatsuji Fujinami's moves to start with <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the crowd's really into it it's like you know how like the K-Hall crowd are kind of like they're the best fans in wrestling but they are kind of a little bit subdued Oh, and on this night, they were going for it. They were chanting names as they came down to the ring to the music and everything. It was brilliant. So you should go watch that. Will do. Right then. Uh, we're also going to look at Fighter Fest. I'm just going to check and see if we've got Ashley anywhere, if she's available for us yet. No, she isn't. And we're going to have to go on. So we shall go on. Uh, we had, I've looked at... On this one, there was two nights in Australia and I only got a chance to look at one of them. So I looked at the Melbourne night, which was on the 29th of June. It was at Festival Hall in Melbourne, 1798, a respectable amount of people in the building. Uh, Chris Charlton and Don Marnell. Now, Don Marnell, you've probably not heard of. He works for OTT Wrestling in Dublin, and he was on commentary with Chris Charlton. And I've got to say, they were pretty damn good. It was nice to have Chris Charlton able to speak when Gary Word and Endways without uh, Tom Callis being there. <laughs> So, yeah, worth it for the commentary alone. Uh, the first match was Nick Barry, who was a local local to Melbourne wrestler. He tagged with Shota Umino, Toa Henry, and they defeated the guys from the, the Farley Dojo, as owned by Bad Luck Farley, Andrew Villalabos, Mark Tui, and Michael Richards in 10 minutes and 8 seconds. Shota Umino is looking good. Have you seen him lately, Marcus? Not... Uh, immediately lately, but the fact that his name's coming up yet again <laughs> proves the point. Yeah. You know, we talked about uh, the last time we talked about him that the kid's a star. Yes, he is, and he's going to be a massive star. He's going to be an even bigger star. Um, bearded wrestling fan this morning said he couldn't explain Shotarumino's um, haircut, uh, and I said the Troopney Show will explain it for you. So I'll explain Shotarumino's haircut. It is a lightly feathered pre-mullet. There you go. That's the definition of that haircut. That's what we're coming up with, I'm saying, anyway. But <laughs> hair aside, he is going to be a great wrestler. Toa Henry is still Toa Henrying about in the middle of the mid-card. He doesn't seem to get anywhere. 
The local guys were very good too. Mark Tuir is especially impressed with. He's the trainer at uh, the Defale Dojo. Uh, you should have a look at him. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a fun match. It was a fun opener. Next up was a singles match. Oh, I should mention, by the way, uh, Nick Berry brilliantly saved up a bunch of money and flew to Los Angeles to go to the LA Dojo for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but went on WrestleMania weekend. So they were in New York doing the MSG show. Yes. <laughs> so when he got there, there was no one there. So he had a weekend. He had a weekend in LA, and then flew back to Melbourne. And then he eventually got a call from New Japan Pro Wrestling 90 minutes before the show started and said, come and fill in for us. We've got an injured guy. So there you go. He fulfilled his dream of wrestling on a New Japan wrestling show. Nice. There you go. Next was Slex, a local hero in the Melbourne wrestling scene. He wrestled Aaron Solo, nine minutes and seven seconds. It was a bit of a dark match for Aaron Solo. Apparently New Japan have plans for him. He did okay. He showed very well. Slex showed why he was good to good local star. It'd be interesting to see if he has any further movement. He's not a big enough name to be like a G1 entry, but they might sneak him into next year's New Japan Cup if he continues doing these things. It would be interesting to see what they did with him uh, for sure. But yeah, it was a fun little matchup. I'm guessing you've never heard of either of these two. No, I haven't. But, but like you said, I think there would be some great names to slide in like the New Japan Cup or even... Yeah, you know, they, they like to they keep it a very mixed bag with those um, battle royals they like to kick off the big shows with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we can do with them too in the long run. Next up was a tag match. Uh, Taro Yano and Yo defeated Bullet Club. Gino Gambino, that's the guy that does English commentary. He did it during uh, the last couple of pay-per-views for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Taiji Ishimori. Nine minutes and 40 seconds of just a fun matchup because Gino Gambino is a comedy heel and Torriano is a comedy face. And it was them two, you know, as Chris Charlton said, a dream match for Sublime Master Thief fans. Yeah, it's, it's funny hearing you bring up, uh, you said Yano and Yo. I don't know if it's one of them or both of them, but uh, since the last time we talked, I mean, uh, Yo and Shoa, um, like come have become gym rats. Oh uh, yeah, they have. Specific, well, show specifically, I think he's trying to keep up with Shingo Takagi because yeah. there's been a big rivalry between them two. But I'm like, yeah, I'm like, did he go and buy like the Tanahashi kit? Like, what is? <laughs> really on some other stuff. Like these guys do not look like they did when we first met them. It kind of reminds me of uh, that, that that time period when the when the Bucks were getting yoked. Yeah. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just really cool to see. It's always cool to see a lot of these guys uh, change their body um, as, they're, as they're climbing up the ranks, so that's always good. Yeah, I, it was really cool. I mean, Yo's, um, Yo's going back to his old maneuvers as well. He went back and started pulling out dragon, loo, re, dragon screw leg whips and different maneuvers from his younger days when he was at the tail end of his um, uh, young boy status, for instance. So he's doing um, good stuff there, really, and trying to give himself some depth. And these matches like this, where he doesn't have to really try an awful, awfully hard. Him and Taiji had a quick crack with one another. This reminds me, Taiji Ishimori on tour is a completely different wrestler to Taiji Ishimori in the main event guy because he just doesn't really try very much. He's, like, you can, he's one of the few guys you can actually tell. It's like, yep, get through this without getting hurt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what he's after. I've seen him on Ref Pro Tours as well. It's just like, yeah, I don't want to hurt myself, uh, which is fine. 
because he's an older guy and he's sensible enough to get through it. But it just it, with him, it seems to tell. With everybody else, it just seems to be like a different style match. But for him, everything seems to he seems to have this tell about him. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, uh, next matchup was Yoshihashi and Tomohiro Ishii, your never open weight champion uh, of Chaos. They defeated Jason Ujiro of Bullet Club, which is a bit of a surprise because Jason Ujiro are actually a really good tag team. And I had a feeling that Yoshiashi might be in a pin here, but that didn't happen. It was Chase. I was mildly disappointed. As much as I'm a Chaos fan, I like Chase and Yujiro a lot. They're my favorite tag team in Bullet Club. But yeah, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi, 9 minutes 47 in a very business-like or very almost horseman-like effort to get rid of Bullet Club. This show was kind of like uh, promoted as Bullet Club versus Chaos because they only took Chaos and Bullet Club guys with them uh, and a couple of other people. But yeah, it was all right, this. Uh, any thoughts on these particular four? Where you're going with these four at the moment? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, like you, um, you know, I've definitely been a fan of the combination with Ujiro. Uh, is uh, one of those guys, like, he kind of he gets me into him when he wants to, like, go off that night. You know, because yeah. uh Or depending on who he's, he's you know, tag with can kind of, you know, bring it out of him. But, um, yeah, I, I like chasing and you draw as well but uh yoshihashi he's always somewhere in the mix you know and uh <laughs> Ishii, Ishii is fine regardless he's a stone pit bull um but yeah I, I definitely dig that combination i don't think any of those guys what well, besides Ishii is in g1 uh yoshihashi has been failed again but um yeah but uh but yeah i, I think that uh that's a solid uh thing and I, normally like you said kind of Framing the offices because, like you said, all the guys that they took for this tour. But uh, we don't always get a consistent amount of uh, chaos versus Bullet Club. No, no. Unless somebody is being targeted that's opposing uh, or pissing off uh, a particular member at the time or whatever. But chaos <laughs> has kind of been doing, feels like some reshuffling there for a minute, obviously, I think, you know, during that time where its uh, strengths were weakened. Uh, a la Jay White, and then you know, Okada had to kind of get back in there and get back to his old ways and uh, you know, take the throne back. But uh, it kind of feels like they've been doing some reshuffling, which is good. Bullet Club as well. Um, with um, I forget who was the two names, only two names had beat Will Ospreay in the in the, in the uh, the super uh, team. Robbie Eagles and El Fantasmo, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, they've been uh, kind of getting some names too. So you know, both sides have been interesting to watch both sides as, you know, uh, the, you know, G.O.D. is kind of taking back form, if you will. Yeah. Speaking of El Fantasmo, he defended his Rev Pro Undisputed British Cruiserweight Championship against Rocky Romero of Chaos, 18 minutes and 45 seconds. And honestly, I haven't seen Rocky go like this in a long, long time. He was having a lot of fun during this matchup. It was brilliant. And I don't quite understand why it didn't get a Wrestling Observer Newsletter star rating, because it should have done. And I don't understand why the cage match users didn't like it. It was fantastic. I love this match. Fantasmo has really been a presence since he joined New Japan Pro Wrestling. Rocky Romero is just one of those guys who can pull a brilliant match out of nowhere. He was on this night, and it worked really, really well. Rocky wasn't going to win the British Heavyweight Championship. It kind of screws too many things up. However, he put in a fantastic performance, and I highly recommend this matchup. Yeah, you know, Rock Romero is one of those guys who, uh, in certain aspects, is underappreciated. Kind of goes on the radar. He's a he's a multi-tool player. Um, 
you know, he serves as a good hype man and, and uh, you know, uh, seemingly fills in some good spots in there on commentary. And obviously he can go on the ring. Um, but I think maybe people overlook it. I guess some people, I guess, forget just how good he can be because it's so useful for him, I guess, in a certain aspect, just framing him as um, Rapungi 3K's hype man or a guy that just occasionally does commentary. But they kind of forget Romero has been at this for how many years now? Oh, uh, first New Japan tour was 2001. Yeah. I think. I, so, I'm not sure. I would know. Maybe a little bit before then, but I will I will check. So he had some serious skin in the game. And I think, like I said, he's such a multi-tool player that a lot of times he can kind of scale back on one aspect and, and do another. And I think a lot of that is it's saved on his body. Well, a lot of guys kind of just, you know, went, went, went. He's kind of seen you know, pockets where he could thrive here and be most effective in this area, like, you know, behind Rapungi or be, you know, more effective in, in a tag team with Beretta. But uh, it, it's, it's good to hear you talk about him, you know, being able to go in and putting on a match that's worthy of a star rating. But, you know, um, and it's disheartening because I think it didn't get a star rating because of maybe his perception. They just feel like, oh, it was, it was a foregone conclusion if uh, Romero was on the other side of it, which is, which is wrong because we see guys all the time in, in New Japan, uh, you know, potentially could have that possession, but they pull out a hell of a match, like uh, like a Yano or somebody else. So. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you there. Uh, Rookie's New Japan debut was 2002, I think. Looking at my cage match entries, yeah, 2002 at... Uh, Mugger in Tokyo at Currican Hall, and he tagged with Ricky Reyes as the Havana Pitbulls against Jack the Pitbull and Pinoy Boy in 11 minutes. They won. So there you go. Rocky started with winning ways, and he's still winning today, though he lost this particular matchup. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really, really good. I strongly recommend you go and find that match. Now, the next matchup was the tag team title match. Juice Robinson and Mickey and Mikey Nichols had defeated... Gorillas of Destiny at Kazuna Road, um, and they uh, demanded a tag title shot, as is their right, and they indeed got their tag title shot. 11 minute 20 seconds was a little short, but generally speaking, it was pretty good. Gorillas of Destiny are a dominant tag team, um, and I liked it a lot. I thought it was really, really cool. Interestingly, the revival listed up all the tag teams they were better than this week, and one of the top of the list was Gorillas of Destiny. So clearly, if the Revival seek them as a highly praised tag team, they kind of uh, are making their way in the tag team ranks. Because Gorillas of Destiny don't get the same respect to, say, the Young Bucks or the Lucha Bros or LAX or even the Revival do. And I think that's changing this year because they're kind of putting a lot more effort into their tag team wrestling. Yeah, I think, you know, um, big, as you know, big G.O.D. guy, and I don't know kind of why that is, I guess, because of, um, I mean, they got the, the new Japan stage to do it on. They, they've absolutely put in work up maybe because uh, I guess to a certain extent, sometimes they got, it seemed like they almost got lost in the shuffle with the, the bullet club of it all. Like that Cody and Kenny storm kind of pushed a lot of people behind in the, you know, behind uh, in the back, if you will. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's kind of, that's good. But that's really what that aggression in that, in that uh, GOD uh, get back to the OG bullet club mentality came from. And they really, put in some efforts and, you know, I don't know how you wouldn't put them. I mean, obviously the Bucks have just done some crazy, crazy stuff 
across the board, but you know, these are legit gentlemen brothers who, you know, really put in some serious work specifically when they want to, obviously having uh a gator behind them now, you know, uh they, they can kinda um coast a little bit because you know when you got Gato, you know, you gotta you gotta ace them. <laughs> but these the, those two guys are two of the best to, that's going, you know, um uh, from from several aspects. And when you get that call out that they did some, you know, what, what that was a couple of months back where they just basically called out any tag team in the industry uh, as they uh, continue to, to crap on the team that they've consistently had to fight over and over again. Uh, you know, I, you know, kudos to the Revival, but, you know, I would say to the Revival, if you're going to put them on a list, make a concerted effort to uh, be able to put yourself in a position to fight these teams and be, <laughs> be pigeon-held, as we see, maybe following the shoes of John Moxley if you want to, you know, get to your list. But uh, Yeah, yeah I, I got a feeling that, that we're unlikely to see the Revival versus the GAOD or the Lucha Brothers or LAX or, well, maybe LAX because we're not sure where they're landing. But yeah, all the young books anytime soon. However, we can dream. Yeah, anyway, we- Juice Robinson and Mikey Nichols, uh, pretty good thrown together tag team, actually. They did okay. But it was interesting to see Gorillas of Destiny were so over in Melbourne. You know, Mikey Nichols, hometown boy, they caught to him eventually and they supported him eventually. But GOD were really, really over. Yeah, that's good. I mean, they, those guys have a lot of swag about themselves. It's just good to hear Juice in title contention after what happened with Moxley. Yeah, yeah. Also, it feels like Juice is always trying to rebuild some momentum. He's that guy you could just root for uh, across the board. But uh, Mike Nichols is another guy who, uh, kind of how, how we talk about, uh, you know, Chase Owens and 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 others in Bullet Club who don't obviously um, always get put in the forefront with Bullet Club. Uh, they kind of need that. Um, just other guys like that. They kind of use that spotlight. I think a tag team. Uh, would be a good way to go, and then maybe the way to go for Juice as well, you know, until he yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Some of his or rebuild some of his singles mojo. Obviously, you have the G1, uh, but his record in the G1 has not always been as desirable. So maybe no. next time he can go for tag goal. As I don't guess he's going to be going for a rematch with Moxley anytime soon, specifically if he doesn't want to wake up in a sincere amount of pain. So. <laughs> Well, he has been very vocal about the fact he would like one, but um, we shall see. Right, next up was Will Ospreay. He defended his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match against Championship against Robbie Eagles. 34 minutes and 4 seconds of an absolute barnstormer. This was Junior Heavyweight Wrestling at its absolute peak. Okay, this was brilliant. Robbie Eagles showing how good he was, how good he can be, with the right opponent at the right time. Will Ospreay, you know, I say a lot of things about William, but he really does know what he's doing between those ropes. And he's more depth this year. He's bigger. He has more development as a pro wrestler. He has more experience. And this was really, really good and shows why they believe in him so much as IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, Will and Robbie Eagles. Now, the mending of the match was that um, Fantasmo had been kind of cost him the match he'd been his corner man all the way through the match and Robbie Eagles was kind of sick of Fantasmo because he's cost him tag team titles you know uh, he was with the tag team with Ishimori um, and they jumped in and he jumped in on Rapingi 3k and demanded the uh, junior heavyweight tag team title match against Rapingi 3k they went on to win those titles so you know Robbie uh, Fantasmo is a double champion he's Rev Pro British heavy British cruiserweight champion. 
He's IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion, and he's kind of come in as the cock of the walk. And it's kind of left Robbie Eagles in the cold, and Robbie was not happy with him over the way things have played out. And eventually, at the end of the match, he laid in a big forearm, sent El Fantasmo sprawling, sprawling, shook hands with William Ospreay, and is now a member of Chaos. So that's the thing for this evening with that particular matchup. But Robbie Eagles and Will Ospreay put on an absolute showcase of what junior heavyweight wrestling in 2019 should look like. And not that risky either, I must say. Nice. I mean, that's great to hear. I've got to go check that out. Because, I, I mean, Ospreay has just been putting in some career work this year. Um, yeah. There is arguments. I mean, obviously, you've had the stuff back and forth with Seth Rollins on the internet about who's the best wrestler in the world. Neither of you are. Mako Satmore is the best wrestler in the world. You should know this. But anyway, um, yeah, Osprey's tried really, really hard. Uh, Saihu and Heath was in a couple of weeks ago on the show, and he's making the argument that Will Osprey is the greatest British wrestler of all time. I'm not convinced yet, because that's an awfully big statement to say, um, but he's certainly putting the groundwork to make that kind of... Uh, groundbreaking impact we'll be talking about this guy wrestling in 20 years time i hope yeah and, and a lot of you know we, we talk about that a lot of that has been for him changing his style to increase longevity with his career because the way he was going you know we could have been potentially talking about him kind of hanging up the boots with, with a potential neck injury or something maybe worse yeah i mean you know we've we've, we've lost charlie charlie morgan and we've lost uh, jack Saxon's careers this week neither of whom were as risk, big a risk takers as, as Will was. So, you know, there's, a, there's not a lot of room for error in this particular business. Yeah, so to see him change up his style um, and really, you know, change his, uh, switch up his focus, I uh, kind of heard some stirring saying that, that he may have not had to, uh, may have not been having the best year in terms of from a personal perspective, but he's really been, uh, turning it up, like you said, in between those ropes and turning out some uh, just consistent show-stealing performances across the board with everybody. Um, but Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, but... I was going to say, take care of him. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, just real quick with the whole Robbie Eagles thing, um, one, of, one of his most consistent traits at this point, which I appreciate, is him making it a point to beat either everybody that's beating him or beating everybody, like, when he was trying to be, like, the ace of... Uh, trying to take you Kushida's spot, if you will, in the juniors. You know, he was like, I can't be the best in this division if I don't beat the the man that's on top, whether he's had whether he has the title or not, Kushida was always the king of that division. You know, yeah. so he kind of made it a point. It's like I got to beat all the guys who were great with this title. And then I finally, if I gonna, you know, call myself the king right now, I got to beat Kushida. So he made it a point to call him out. And I like how he coming out of that uh the tournament. He only lost to two people, and he made it a point like I, I have to beat these two people and get my losses, or reverse my yeah, losses yeah, yeah. if, if I'm gonna call myself legit. And I appreciate that because that's that's consistency with character and um, consistency with being a great champion. So I appreciate that. Okay, the main event of the evening time was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada, the dream team up against Bullet Close, Bad Luck Farley and Jay White with Ghetto. Actually, the best of these particular kinds of matches we've had since the thaw in relations between the regular army and chaos. Uh, Tanahashi and Okada always seemed to find a way to get in each other's road, but they were perfectly in sync on this night, and it showed. This match was a lot of fun. It was well put together, and it was a proper main event-style wrestling match. 
Bad Luck Farley was no slouch in this particular bout. Neither was Jay White. Organized, they're both kind of, all four of them kind of blame their case for the G1. Akara and Tanahashi, though, unstoppable on this particular night. Ended with a rainmaker on Bad Luck Farley. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun to watch. And I highly recommend it. Marcus, what are your thoughts on the G1 and these four guys and where they're going to land? Oh, I think it's, uh, I think, uh, you know, good spots all around me. Like when people, I guess, kind of look at Farley and think he's like this, at first glance, this big over and lummox. But Fale is one of the most dangerous guys uh, in New Japan, and specifically, you know, uh, a hell of a hurdle to, to, to jump over in the G1. Uh, you know, we know Okada is, you know, that guy. He's a reigning champion. And apparently he's looking to, to, to be a triple crown, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, taking the tournament and then now the title and, and obviously, you know, getting another uh, G1 under his belt and, you know, we know Tanahashi's the ace, but he has some hurdles in terms of injuries yet again. But we know Tanahashi, he thumbs his nose up at his injuries when sometimes we may want the ace to rest. Um, and uh, who's the fourth guy? Uh, Jay White. Jay White, yeah. And yeah. Jay White's looking to rebuild momentum because a lot of people, you know, kind of overlooked him when he was champion. You know, kind of to just, uh, I guess, viewed him as undeserving of it because I'm kind of some guy that kind of got pushed in there. Um, and obviously, you know, he's been knocked off a little bit, so he's going to be looking to regain some momentum. Uh, and I think nobody can take away what he built for himself in terms of being an in-ring competitor because he put on some great matches as well during that stint as he was going after Okada and whatnot. But, yeah, I'm definitely digging that combination. I'll tell you one thing. Looking at, like, the G1 and, and – Stuff like that. If Fale, because obviously I think uh, David Boy Smith is no longer there, right? No, he's uh, signed with MLW and is in talks with AEW at the moment. Yeah. If Fale and Archer ever pair up, it is going to look like a like <laughs> Godzilla movies around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think the G1 also, I think the, what that is, the A block has me a little bit more excited just because of. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the all-stars out of the gate. But I think the, the B block has uh, the potential to be really, uh, really uh, some sleepers, some great sleeper matches there. But all these four guys, I think they're going to hold up quite well. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting tournament, certainly. Now, they went to Dallas. Now, this is the thing. New Japan has been all over the place. But, like, this show was on... Wednesday, I think, or Thursday, and then on Saturday they went to Dallas. No, it was last weekend. This was on Saturday of last week. They had some time off. Then they go straight into Dallas Friday for the press conference of the G1, and the first show was on Saturday. Now, we're not going to cover that today on this show, and there is a bit of a gap between this first show and the rest of the G1, because obviously they've got to ship everything back to Japan, and we will get into full G1 coverage this year, as we always do. I've got some new friends to join us. I've got some old favorites as well. So our G1 coverage will be as complete as it can be when we will bring you the result of every match and talk about every match like we have done. Because the G1's just awesome, and we do love doing it. But it is a hell of a time commitment, isn't it, Marcus? Yes, it is. It's arduous, it seems, as for us as it is for the competitors at times. <laughs> it does. So we will watch everything, and we will bring you our opinions uh, as soon as we possibly can. Uh, we go back to our usual two or three weeks, two or three shows a week format uh, and keep things together. 
we're still finalizing things. But next week, we'll look at the show from Dallas and we'll go in depth on that particular show. I'd like to thank my guest for today. That would be Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you very much for joining me, sir. Oh, man, my pleasure. Always, uh, always a great time with you, man. I am sure Ashley Rose would have Nova would have been here if she'd have been here, but she wasn't here. However, she is the managing editor. Well, no, I'm the managing editor of Indie Empire magazine. She's the overall editor of Indie Empire magazine. New edition coming out in a couple of weeks. I submitted my copy yesterday. There's some cool stuff. I looked at the history of the Three Musketeers in my continuing series. I also looked at Tomohiro Ishii's long-term uh, five reigns as uh, never openweight champion and uh, its effect on the wrestling business and certainly its effect on New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, you can find Marcus at Paradox Kid on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for your time, sir. No, man, uh, thank you. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, uh, I was looking forward to doing it with Ashley, but maybe we'll catch up on another show. I, I think so. I'm not sure what happened, but there we go. Anyway, uh, you'll find me at Sheriff Lonestar on the show. You'll find the show True Penny Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook of the True Penny Show. And you can find us on Patreon where you can keep the True Penny Show free forever for everyone. Please use our sponsors. That would be Indie Empire Magazine. If you go look at the website, there's some cool stuff dropping on there all the time. And the magazine will be out soon too. You can find them on Twitter at Indie Empire Magazine. You can also find us, well, if you search Indie Empire Magazine, I'm not exactly sure of the name. Make sure you get that bit right. You can also find our partners, Wrestle, uh, powerslam.tv, where they have loads of wrestling content at a reasonable price. And you get a free month with our code MULLETWATCH. And there's loads of progress stuff on there, Send Our Girl stuff, Rev Pro stuff, all our favorite stuff. So if you like wrestling, then you should have a look at powerslam.tv. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye.